2 Timothy chapter number 3. We've been going through the series, looking at things in the end times, factors before the rapture. and We dealt with that. There would be a, a church, and I use that word loosely, a church world. It would be absolutely filled with insanity and sacrilegious beliefs. And Isaiah said it. They'd call good evil, evil good. That's, we're there. We're already, we're there. We see a world that's heady and high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God and full of selfishness. And We see a land that's treacherous. Amen. And, and there again, believe me, if this book read different, I'd preach it different, okay? Sure. I'm, not, I'm not doomsday Zane, but this is how it reads, all right? So here, here, here's where we are. But I, I think you know me good enough. I'm not just here to hang somebody over a cliff. I'm also here to give somebody some hope. Thank Amen. you, Lord. If you'll start with us tonight, we'll do it a little backwards here. We'll start in Genesis, and then we'll move over to 2 Timothy. Let's start Genesis chapter number 18 in verse number 16. Genesis 18 in verse number 16. Genesis 18, verse number 16. And the men rose up from thence and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I shall do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord and do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And verse 23 said, And Abraham drew near and said, Will thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? 2 Timothy tonight, chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. Know this also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own self, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. What will the end times be, Brother Estes? Churches will be sacrilegious. Man will be selfish. Government will be seditious. Society will be savage. Father, I ask you to give us wisdom and words spoken tonight. Give us your divine unction and anointing. Lead us, God. We need you in this place. Minister like only you can. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen and amen. Now, Abraham had been visited by the angel who gave him a mighty revelation. The revelation is where the story picks up here in chapter number 18. And Sodom is mentioned some six times in the Old Testament and four times in the New. And every time Sodom is ever mentioned, there's always seems to be surrounding it with a, some sort of a foreboding and a fear, a, 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 an understanding that judgment is ripe and ready to come, where God destroys the city with fire and brimstone. And, and you can see that in 2 Peter chapter number 2 and verse number 6. The Bible says he turns the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them with an overthrow, making them an ensample. That word literally means an example. Making them an ensample to those that should after live ungodly. The smoking ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah is God's classic example of how he feels about sin. The Bible tells us plainly what happens and tells us that it should be an example to all. And friend, can I tell you, given the same set of circumstances, what God did there, yes, he can and will do again. Can you say amen? God can. In fact, 
He's the same yesterday and today and forever. And it is a mark of the end days, amen, that man finds himself back in the days of Lot. Luke 17 and 28, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. They continued in the way of their sin. They continued in their lasciviousness. They went on and on as if nothing was going to happen and suddenly judgment fell. It would be much the same way but on a global scale next time. I said it would be much the same way but on a global scale next time. I cannot help but to believe we are now reliving the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And friend, can I tell you, just because God may have seemed to delay His judgment, that doesn't mean He's denied His judgment. The Lord is right on time. And friend, can I tell you, for a world that's gone wild and a world that's neck deep in sin, there's still a God that is holy and there is still a God that is just. And unless man repents, he is headed to Jesus and headed for judgment. Somebody said, what do you think this world's coming to? I said, this world's coming to Jesus because Jesus is coming to this world and they're going to have to face Him as their judge. We love a God that's full of love, and yes, He is, but He's also a God full of judgment. Can I speak to us tonight, number one, about the perversion of Sodom? In Genesis 18 and 20, and I read this because I believe it, I believe it parallels with the day and hour that we're living in. Genesis 18 and 20, the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. And because their sin is very grievous. Now, brother, that's just what is the sin that the Bible speaks of with Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, Ezekiel goes in much more detail about it. And in chapter number 16 and verse 49, here's what the prophet said. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Are you ready? Pride, fullness of bread, the abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Verse 50, And they were haughty and committed abominations before the Lord. Therefore I took them away as I saw good. Sometimes we put the filter on and narrow it down to one simple sin. It's, a, it's an, 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 an abhorred sin at that, but we narrow it down to simple one simple sin. It was more than just one thing, beloved. There's a plethora that Ezekiel explains to us. It is pride, it is fullness of bread, it's the abundance of time. They could care less about the real poor and the needy. Amen. Here they're haughty, they're committing abominations, and they do it with such a look of proudness upon them. And the Lord said, because of all these things, I'll take you away. Here's the sins, number one, if you're taking notes, pride. Well, we don't deal with that one anymore, do we? Pride. There's a sin. Friend, there's, here is the top of the list. In fact, it's above perversion. It is pride. Many a person may never become the pervert, but they still have a proudful heart and hell is still the same. Proverbs 6 and 16 said, Six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him. And here's how verse 17 starts, A proud look. Yes. We used to deal with pride a whole lot more than we do now in our circles. We dealt with it in our hearts and we asked God, Lord, is it inside of me? And sometimes, oh, Lord, help me say it right, sometimes people can be proud of their humility. <laughs> I had one preacher tell me he was at a certain meeting and another preacher got up and he wiped the tear out of his eye and he said, it's been said that I'm the most humble man in the movement. And the preacher sat down and said, now that's a man proud of his humility right there. <laughs> Pride has a way of creeping in when we don't even realize it. So, hey, hey, friend, sometimes... When we're so easy to spot pride in other people's life, you know how we know how we can spot it so easily because it's lurking inside our own hearts. Sometimes we don't see things as they are. Sometimes we see things as we are, and all it does is remind us of us, and that's why we get so mad at it. Hallelujah. Boy, that's so right. Oh, right. as C.S. Lewis said, the reason you're so upset that he was such the big hobnob at the party is because you weren't the big knob hobnob at the party. The Bible says God, listen, beloved, God resisteth the proud. Amen. 
Not that God is unwilling to help. Not that God simply ignores their prayers. But God puts a stern shoulder against a proud heart. It is as if God himself says, I will fight against everything you're trying to do if you hold pride inside of your heart. It's not as if he just turns his face. He stands against the Lord's resisteth the proud. Amen. He resisteth the proud. All of heaven stands against the proud man. Jesus kept his harshest criticism for people that were eaten alive with pride. If there was no pride, there would have been no devil. Sodom is a testimony, not simply to perversion, but pride. Pride. Oh, Lord, help me say it right. Friend, they always go hand in hand. A man with that arrogant spirit... He begins to think in his mind he can do things and get away with it that other men can't. And we said it the other night, so I can't believe he fell so far. No, no, he's been living low for a long time. You just didn't know it. His pride convinced him that he's the exception to the rule. His pride convinced him that he can do what other men can't do, and God's going to win. His pride convinced him that God, God actually has darling little children. He has no darlings. Amen. Every judgment of God, it's going to be fair, and it's going to be fearful. Can you say amen? Amen. We need to search our heart and say, God, don't let that be inside of me. I hate to say it today, but most Americans, somebody said, you think most Americans are going to hell? I said, no, no, no. Most Americans are strutting to hell. I said, they're strutting to hell. They're proud of it. You ever find it interesting? And we got little ears here and I don't want to go into all the filthy details of their life, but they have marches. You know what they even call their marches? (laughs) Wow, what a coincidence. I'm telling you, they go hand in hand. Friend, can I even go further? The fullness of bread, gluttony. Boy, there's something we don't ever preach on anymore, huh? Not only physically, but materially. More and more and more and more. They were materialistic. They were living to pamper the flesh. They cared more about the body than they do the soul. Friend, they were gluttonous, not only physically, not only materialistically, even mentally. Whatever trash they could feed their mind on, that's what they were glued to. Does that not sound like the United States of America? We live in a country where people can become popular for no other reason than the fact that they're popular. And people watch their, amen, I guess daytime television or a real whatever it is, TV, where all this is real. It ain't real. That's all garbage. That's all fake. But they're feeding their minds on these. They've become glued gluttonous in their minds and lazy in their hearts. They're filling their bellies with rot. They're filling their minds with rot. Friend, Lord, help us. And I I know I'm preaching to a choir again, but sometimes sometimes it's good to hear the old truths than just some new revelation. Your mind, as we said again, is a magnet. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Where you put mind, you put focus. Where you put focus, you put feeling. Where you put feeling, you put feet. It starts with focus. It moves to feeling. Feet follow that. Amen. No wonder they don't just put one advertisement going down the road. No wonder they put 50,000 advertisements. Because after a while, the man focuses on it. Then the feelings follow. And all of a sudden, he says, you know what? I don't know how I could live without that contraption, huh? Oh, I hope my mom didn't listen. I love my mom. Oh, I love my mom. I do. Mom will say, Zane, I have this new kitchen appliance. I said, Mom, did you watch an infomercial? She said, listen, Zane, listen. This one's different. This one's different. They got you again, didn't they, Mom? It's crazy. <laughs> she's saying, you got to watch this. And I'm telling you, she's showing me all in about 20 minutes. I'm going, wow, look at the Erica. Get in here. <laughs> say amen. <laughs> Thank God she's, my, she's the last defense. She rolls her eyes and lets me know, I need, well, well, we don't need this, honey. That's right. <laughs> but gluttonous in their mind, gluttonous in their life, 
no dis... When that Bible spoke about incontinence, literally no ability to hold back, no ability to say no for the simple reason that no means no, and that's all you need to know. <laughs> that means no. I was in Africa one year, and I remember here we had, we had a, a, a brother, and I, th- I think his name was Patrick, and he's about 40 years old, and we take him, and he gets his first milkshake. Oh, it was a blessed, glorious day for him to have a milkshake. He ate a second milkshake. He loved it. I said, man, let's go tomorrow. We go back the next day. I said, hey, and of course, there's a group. I said, hey, Patrick, you up for a milkshake? And the man smiles at me. He says, no, not today, Brother Zane. I said, why don't you want another milkshake? He said, because today I am disciplining my stomach. Ooh, today, I mean, here's a man that's never had him. Now he falls head of who wouldn't, right? You know what I'm saying? And he says, no, just because I have to let my stomach know, today I'll be feeding you, I'll tell you what to do. You're not going to tell me what to do. Today I'll tell my flesh, you'll get out of the bed at this time. You're not going to tell me when to get up. Right. I'm going to tell you when to get up. All right. I'm not gonna let my mind. I'm gonna tell my mind what to do. Somebody say, "Oh, you're just supposed to free your mind." You ain't. No, no, no. You ain't supposed to free your mind. You bring every thought into captivity to the very obedience of Christ. Now, I understand there may be thoughts that try to flash over your mind, but you say, "I'm not gonna dwell on those things." I purpose in my mind, and I practice in my mind not to dwell on. I'm gonna think on things that are true, and things that are honest, and things that are just. And if there's any virtue and there's any praise, that's where my mind's going to go. I'm not gonna follow the sin of Sodom. It's a last day indicator that Jesus is coming soon and I want to be an overcomer. Glory to God. Pride, fullness of bread, the abundance of idleness. Now I know man, and and this is is where we get thumbs down and negative comments, okay? But you do understand and I'm, I'm here, I know I'm preaching to the choir here but we got other people listening in. God made you to work. <laughs> That's an evil word, but God intends you intends for you to work until your toes turn up and die, okay? God intends... Now, six days man's going to work, one day man's going to rest, amen, but God... And you say, brother, that says, I physically can't do what I used to do, amen, but there's still something for you to do in the kingdom of God. You physically may not be able to go out there, but you can still intercede and pray and seek the face of God. There's something for everybody in this kingdom, and I'm telling you what, if I ever hear my kids say, I'm bored, I say, don't you ever say that, because when you turn around and say, I'm bored, you begin to tempt the devil to try to tempt you. I said, when you say you're bored, you're tempting the devil to get you to be tempted. I don't think you can tempt me, devil. I don't think you're big. That's what you're saying when you turn and start saying, I'm bored. He'll find something for you to do, and it won't be right. You feel, whoo, boy, that got tight right there, didn't it? The idleness. Man's mentality today is to simply get out of work. What can I do to take the biggest shortcut? What can I do to have easy street? Now listen, there's a drive inside a man. He wants to better for his family. And we spoke about that Sunday, and I think even Monday, we brought it up. It's amazing. The devil has no raw material to work with. So he takes something that's good and he tries to twist it and pervert it, amen. He tries to make it, here he takes the the natural zeal that a man has to try to be better. And he says, listen, you can turn that in just having more, 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 and more. That way you can live on easy street for the last 30 years of your life. We need to have a good work ethic, but it has to stay sanctified. I'm not against education, but I'm telling you, if you don't sanctify that mind, you're going to wind up simply being a clever devil, huh? There you go. The idleness. The idleness. The inadvertently, it inadvertently rather, produces a slave mentality. One man said it like this. Boy, once they get hooked on SFN, you never get them off that stuff. I said, what in the world's SFN? He said, something for nothing. Man, they get hooked on that drug. They'll do anything to stick around on that one, man. It's hard to get a man off SFN once he gets hooked on it. We got a world that incentivizes. Listen, I realize there's real needs and real situations, and I'm not making light of that, but don't think we don't live in a society that tries to break the rule and play the system every chance they can get. That's what Jesus said it was going to be like. That's what Paul brought out. 
Once a man gets hooked on that drug, he's a mental slave. I said he's a mental slave. Edith Hamilton, who was a historian and said of the Athenians, quote, when the Athenians wanted not to give to the state, but for the state to give to them, when the freedom they wish most was freedom from responsibility, the Athenians ceased to be free and were never free again. When you only want to be free from responsibility, you're not free at all. It was a pride that overthrew Sodom. It was a gluttony. It was an idleness. But that's just you talking about a, a society 2,000 or 2,800 years ago? No. I'm talking about even today. Amen. Americans are full of people that want to be free from simple responsibilities. Can I tell you something? Children are a responsibility. Sure they are. Come on. They're your responsibility if they're yours. I thank God for grandparents, and I love my in-laws, my mom and my stepdad. My real dad died 10 years ago, and, but I thank God for them. But it, I, don't, I, don't, I don't push them off on them and say, by the way, I want you to raise these for the next year and a half. You know, I just want to sit around and, you know, and go fishing all day. I thank God I'm not throwing off on you men. Thank God you can go fishing. But I'm just reminding you there's a responsibility to them. Hey, beloved, there's a responsibility in taking a spouse. There's a responsibility in buying a home. There's a responsibility. We have walked away from responsibilities we have minimized it when we should be maximizing it tithing is responsibility there is a responsibility to tithe there's a responsibility to give there is a responsibility to pray Somebody said, Brother Estes, man, we need you at your best, Brother Estes. Okay, thank you. But can I let you know a little secret? I need you at your best too. I need, church, I mean this. I need you at your best. You need me at my, I need you. I need you at your, do you, if, if we, God forbid, we ever get a call, Brother Sanders and I ever get a call and said, man, listen, we gave up because everybody gave up, amen. And so we've all just given, I can't handle that. That's not going to go good in my heart. I need you. I need you on the front line. I need you interceding. I need you praying. I need to keep hearing the stories about how God is healing and helping. I need you at your best too. And I'm afraid, it, I'm afraid for the most part in our nation, we have willingly traded opportunity for quote-unquote security. No doubt. I mean, the land of the free, the home of the brave. No, no, no. Land of the bound, home of the, home of the shackled now. Somebody, so I just, I just want to make sure that I, I, you know, I'm just taking care of every step of the way. You better trust God. He'll supply your every need. One, one, one day they're going to use that card and it ain't going to work. One, one day they're going to put that card in that machine. They say, oh, no, that's the old way. Now, we, the, yeah, the government used to buy you groceries through that card, but they got this new system going on now, and, and there's a new way to say amen to me, somebody. And it's just, you got a little something in there, and you scan that. Uh, friend, hear me. You better keep your hand up, You better keep your eyes upon the Lord and say, God, you own the cattle of a thousand hills. You're going you're gonna to meet my need. You're going to supply for me. I trust you, Jesus. You're going to take care of me, and I believe it, God. You want security? Hey. We'll give you security. You want absolute security? I know a place. I know a place that will give you three meals a day. They will, I promise, they'll give you a place to sleep. If you, I, it, you wait, you, you haven't heard half of the deal. If you get sick, they'll take care of you. Wow. It's amazing. In fact, listen, you think they will have an armed guard right outside your door just to make you feel secure. You know where I'm staying, don't you? <laughs> Come on. It's prison. That's right. Three hots and it's a prison. It's security. But you never have opportunity. You never have opportunity. All you have is security, not opportunity. For the child, man, that's a, for the child of God, he says, Lord, there's a higher height out there. 
there's a deeper depth out there. There's more land to take. Just like you promised Abraham every place he put his foot, God, you're promising me too. God, there's promises not only that I see in this world, but in the world to come. So I'm just going to lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves don't enter in, neither do they steal. And I'm going to keep on working for God. I'm not going to sit idly by and say, well, you know, it's time for Brother Peter to pay, pray and it's time for Brother George to pray and it's time for Brother... No, no, I'm going to get on the firing line and say they're praying, but we're praying and we're praying together. And if one could put a thousand to flight, two would put 10,000 to flight. We're not going to be idle in the last days. Hallelujah to God. Pride, gluttony, idleness, selfishness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. Desperate needs, honest, de honestly desperate needs. But they cared more about themselves. And lastly here, perversion. And it is an abomination. No matter how quote-unquote acceptable society wants you to think it is. Ezekiel 16 and 50. And they were haughty and committed abominations before, the, before me. Therefore took, I took them away as I saw good. Like it or not, it's still written in the holy right of God. Leviticus 20 and verse number 13. If man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman. Both of them shall have committed an abomination. The Bible said they shall be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Now this is what Ezekiel is speaking about. And not only did they do it, hear mercy, they were proud of it. The Bible said their blood shall be upon them. Now understand this is an Old Testament theocracy. He's not calling you and me to be a vigilante and hurt somebody. But beloved, spiritually there is a death for men and women that walk down that road. I said this last year, but I'll repeat this scripture again. Wherefore, God, God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the Creator, who is the blessed for who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26 of Romans chapter number one says this: For this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their own lusts one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of the air which was meet and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient Amen. follow the pattern it starts with pride it moves to pollution it ends with perversion follow the pattern Amen. Sin never satisfies, so they have to take their sin and try to twist it to keep that kick alive. And they go deeper and deeper and deeper. Proverbs 20 and 17, bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth shall be filled with gravel. You and I both know we live in a sin-sick society. And friend, for the sake of innocent ears that are among us tonight, we won't mention what's on their agenda next. But you know as good as I do, it's worse and worse and worse. Say amen. Friend, here is a man. He's living in fornication. He no longer has that kick and thrill, so he has to try something new. After a while, that doesn't give him the thrill. So now he tries something new. After a while, that doesn't give him the thrill. Amen. Isaiah said it like this of Jerusalem. And I'm sad to say, but I say it like this in my own nation. Jerusalem is ruined. Right. Right. Isaiah 3 and 8, Jerusalem's ruined. They ruined it. Quaint little towns. Now, now, now for my generation, now, believe me, this is hard for my generation to accept. Amen. Let alone people that are in the 30s and 20s. But I was told that there was a time in this nation you didn't have to lock your doors at night. Yes, sir. I was told there was a time. Now, I, I, I didn't grow up in that world. And Brother Peter, you didn't grow up in that world either. Because every time you go to Walmart, you better click. The whole time you in Walmart, you're clicking that lock button just to make sure. Somebody said you lose your truck because there ain't nothing to do with losing it. Just making sure it's still locked. Say amen, somebody. Amen. Isaiah 3 and 8, for Jerusalem is ruined and Judah is fallen. 
because their tongue and their doing, they did it and they were proud about it. Their tongue and their doing was against the Lord and provoked the eyes of his glory. Verse 9, and show, and, 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 and show of their countenance, the show of their countenance doth witness against them. And they declare their sin as Sodom, they hide it not. The show of their countenance. Isaiah said, man, it's all over your face. You're proud of it, aren't you? You boast about it on your social media network now, don't you? Boy, you can't wait to upload one little short more video to show how proud you can be and push it in anybody's face. And if anybody dares say anything about your life, you will cancel them. You will track them down and, you know, and expose who their family is and do everything you can to destroy them. And Isaiah said, man, my country that once stood for God, that once stood for the principles of the Word of God, he said, it's ruined now. He goes on to say this, and I find this a very interesting scripture. Just a few verses down in Isaiah verse number 12. Get a hold of this. Isaiah 3 and verse number 12. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. Now listen, this is not a misogynistic statement. It's simply the Bible. The mark of a ruined society, depraved men disobedient children, and domineering women. You, it, when you see this in society, you point your finger like Isaiah and say, God, it's ruined. Depraved men, disobedient children, domineering women. That's what Isaiah said. They've ruined it. And here's how I know. Because now the children can stand up and say, I don't care. I'm 14 years old. I'm big enough to make my own decisions. I'm going to have a transition. And if you say anything, I'll throw you in prison. And you say, brother, that's just, that can never happen in America. Are you kidding? It already has. It already is. It's not a million miles down the road. It's in front of our face. I remember I was there in Ireland. I think who we were talking to before service about Ireland. And the men, they stayed in the pubs. Everything civil was run by their ladies because the men couldn't get away from their beer long enough to get their minds straight to think right. They were depraved. Somebody else stood up and said, well, we'll fill that vacuum. And before you know it, they've got laws that say a 13-year-old can tell a 31-year-old what they need to do. Isaiah said, it's ruined. It's ruined. Boy, and there again, I'm not, I, I, don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about, you know, abusive men. No, no, that, that's not even on the map. Husbands love your wife. And I'm talking to good men here. That's not even a question. But I'm talking about society as a whole. And can I even, can I go a step, Lord God, help me say, go a step further. Even when it comes to honoring our elderly, Leviticus, now this is the Word of God, and we've taught our children this. Leviticus 19 and 32, Thou shalt rise up before the hoary head and honor the face of the old man and the fear of God. I am the Lord. We have taught our girls, amen, if there's eight people in the room and there's four chairs and it's you four girls and it's four elderly ladies, your job is to get up and to give your seat to that elderly saint. Can you say amen? I still believe the child is to rise up and to honor the hoary Head, that's the gray-headed person, and say, you know what? You first. Woo. Amen. Boy, that got tight. <laughs> now that goes. Oh, here's a side note. Here we go. One of these rabbit trails. Well, hey, you read. You read Paul's epistles. He's got a few rabbit trails in there. Okay, so cut Zane some slack. All right. There are churches. Uh, man, we 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 gear our church just to our youth. That's who we gear our church to, just the young people. That's the young people, whatever. So you got your ponytail gutter living guy up there singing them songs. No, you don't. That's not what the Bible said, do. Amen. The elders were to be the examples. And the young person was to look up to them. And the mothers and fathers were to instill into those babies, you honor those saints of God. You honor those saints of God. 
You don't, pfft, just, oh, those songs are so old-fashioned. No, 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 don't you say that. Now, you may, you may not like that song like I do, but don't you ever make fun of that because there's a reason they're singing that and it did something in their lives. And you honor that saint of God because if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here today. Amen. If it wasn't for somebody that already made a sacrifice, we wouldn't be in this house tonight. Can you say amen somebody? Amen. Go down that list quickly because I got to make a right turn here. Somewhere, somewhere along the line, I got to close tonight. I'm sorry I'm preaching too long and I'm still on point one. Sorry, Harry. <laughs> That's how it worked out. Amen. Perversion, pollution, the pride, the gluttony, the idleness, the selfishness. Nothing ruins a society faster than any of those things. Pride, gluttony, idleness, selfishness, perversion. Pride, gluttony, idleness, selfishness, perversion ruins a society. Now, the perversion of Sodom, but this is where I want to turn us to tonight because we see these things are there. We see we're living in such last days. We see these perilous times. But the story of Genesis doesn't simply stop there. Not only does it bring out the perversion of Sodom, it also speaks of the prayer of the saint. And this is our responsibility. Abraham knew what God was going to do. And Abraham intercedes. Abraham knows that there is judgment coming. And Abraham stands and pleads with God. You say, but that's just, would God do that? Listen what Amos chapter 3 verse number 7 says. Surely the Lord will do nothing, but, but he revealeth his secret unto his servant the prophet. Here is a man who is a friend of God. Here is a man who knows the Lord and loves the Lord. And he knows that judgment's on the way. I had a man tell me one time, he said, Now, Brother Estes, why would God tell us about all this tribulation time to come if the church isn't even going to be here? I said, Here's why. Because I'm his friend. And he tells his friends what he's going to do. And I'm going to tell an unbelieving world, You need to get right because there's judgment to come. That's why he tells me. You know, as a friend of God, you know what this world don't know. God has revealed to you in His Word things to come that this world don't know anything about. Them sinners, I'm saying, those men in Sodom had no clue. Abraham knows exactly what's happening. He knows what's... Every man in Sodom, he's, he wants to be in the who's who. Abraham don't care about the who's who. He's, he's caring about the what's what. Amen. And he said, I may not be a who's who, but I know what's what, and I know judgment's going to come to an ungodly society. Genesis 18 and 7, the Bible, 17, the Bible says, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing that I should do? Today we look for VIPs, very important people. God still looks for IPs, intercessory prayer. <laughs> Abraham steps between God and God's judgment to wicked Sodom. Abraham becomes an intercessor. He prays for his carnal nephew Lot because, man, he knows what's going to come. He knows what's coming. Oh, God. I've, I have got family members... They don't know what's coming. All we are, all Zane and Eric are, is just that, that friends group. I don't know how they got like they are, but they did do, do this. And I don't even know how they live. And they drag those girls around the nation. And man, they live like gypsies. And I wouldn't do that. And they say, whatever you want. But they don't know what I know about what's coming. They don't know what's right around the corner. They don't know about the judgment of God. Hallelujah. I've seen in his word. I'm his friend. He's shown me. It's coming. His word is yay. And it's a, but it's my job right now to stand between the living and the dead and intercede and say, God, Rescue them before it's too late. Oh, God. Help us, God. Help us, God. Abraham, I read Genesis 18 and 22. The men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. But, but, Abraham, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Abraham gets in the way. He says, whoa, 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 wait, wait. Please, Lord, wait. And God delays his judgment because someone intercedes. And God says, well, will, you destroy, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked, O oh God? Abraham did what diplomats could not. Abraham did what ambassadors could not. 
Abraham did what philosophers failed to do. Abraham temporarily stayed the judgment of God. One man grabbed a hold of Lot. Lot couldn't do it. Lot's on the borderline. Lot couldn't see the hand of judgment. He couldn't see the clock from where he stood. But a friend of God can. Are you friend enough to God to see what's coming? I want to look at his prayer tonight, and this is what I want to make our prayer. As I examine this in Scripture, I would simply start in verse 22, and the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. Listen, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. I would begin by simply saying this. It was a courageous prayer. Here's a man knows that God's judgment's coming, and yet he is friend enough with God to enter into that holy place and intercede that God would not destroy their life. Are you friend enough with God to be willing, amen, to go into that holy place and say, Jesus, I'm going to ask you to have mercy on that boy. I'm going to ask you to have mercy on that child. I know they've done wrong. I know they walked away. But Lord God, they don't know the judgment to come. Lord God, this is not like you. You're not going to destroy the righteous with the ungodly. He pleads with the Lord. It's a courageous prayer. George Mueller is one of the greatest prayer warriors. He had that orphanage there in Bristol, England. Literally millions of dollars was given to that work. And when they asked George Mueller, what was your inspiration of faith? Because they all knew he could pray intercessory prayers of faith. And you've probably read his books where they would sit around the table and actually have the table spread and there wouldn't be any food there. And they would begin to pray and the trucks would come down the road filled with food. Well, they asked Mr. Mueller, what inspired you? And he said, greater than any other portion of Scripture, Genesis 18 taught me how to intercede with God. And he'd pray and he'd say, Lord... You promised to be a father to the fatherless. I'm going to hold you at your word, God. You said the righteous would not be forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. Now, Lord, I am yours and these children are mine. Therefore, these children are under your care. And Lord, if these kids go to begging for bread, it's going to be on you. And everybody in London is going to say that you failed and your name, your name is at stake, Lord. So this ain't me, God. This is you because I already told them you're big enough to do that. Now, friend, now if you ain't a friend of God, you don't want to be playing that kind of game. That can get you in a whole lot of trouble. But if you're friend enough with the Lord. You can say to the Lord what the sinner man can. I'm friend enough with God to come and say, Lord, you've got to do this. Man, if a stranger come up to me, Started trying to lay me out and say, you need to change this, man. I don't know about that. What about this? You need to, I'm not saying, whoa, 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 wait, wait. But you know what? If you're my friend, if you're my friend, I know that you're helping me. I know that you're here. For me. And he says, Abraham, you're my friend. I want to talk to you. Hallelujah. I want to be friend enough with God that I can walk into his throne and boldly, yet humbly begin to intercede for him. Somebody give the Lord praise in the house of the Lord. Glory to glory to God. Abraham knows what's coming. Abraham is friend enough with God. Stranger, try that. You're in deep weeds, mister. But if you're my friend. Come here, Zane. Come here, something's bothering you, Zane. Come here. I'm talking about a sanctified argument, not an arrogant argument. Say amen. Because not only, not only was it a courageous prayer. Verse 27, listen to this. Abraham said, Behold, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. It is both courageous and contrite. Don't you think you can march in there and point your fingers and say, you do this and you do that. Here's a man of God that's willing to approach the throne of God. And yes, it takes courage to do that. But with all humility, his heart trembles before the presence of God Almighty. I ask you tonight, beloved, do you still tremble in the presence of God? Do you still tremble at his word? Are there still times where his word will speak to you and you say, oh, Lord, God, that makes me tremble knowing what a holy God you are. Oh, 
times Brother Sanders, I've read that book. I told my wife, I wish I wouldn't have done that before I tried to lay down. I can't. I can't. I got to get up. I got to pray. I got to go pray. He says, God, I'm only dust. I'm only ashes. I am nothing, oh God. God, give us men again that will tremble at the word of God. It is a compassionate prayer. He's not asking for himself. Paul spoke about watchings, literally all night prayer meetings, if you will. When's the last time you, you had a prayer meeting for another person, not just you? I mean that. And don't answer, don't answer out loud, but answer in your heart. It was a courageous prayer. It was a contrite prayer. It was a compassionate prayer. It was a confident prayer. Verse 25, be, far, be that be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. And then he says, Shall not the judge of all earth do right? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham knows the ways of God. It is birthed out of his relationship with God. And because he has a relationship with God, he now has a trust in God. And he has a confident prayer that says, Lord, I know you better than this. You're not going to slay the righteous with the wicked. Have you ever known a situation long enough? You know them good enough to know something ain't right. You ever walked into a church before? You didn't know everything about them, but you looked around and said, something ain't fitting right. <laughs> we were talking about Brother Kevin Lloyd today. I thought about it. Brother Lloyd just resigned his church there in uh, Ohio and moved over to Bond, Kentucky. Well, I didn't think about it. I still had his Ohio number. Didn't have his Kentucky number. Didn't know he had a Kentucky number. And I texted him and said, Hey, bro, you coming back to Brazil with us this year? And I get a text back. And it didn't take me long to figure out, That ain't Kevin Lord. <laughs> I know him better than that. Right. He don't use those kind of words. Say amen. amen. <laughs> now, come on here. Now. <laughs> Let alone on swear words. He didn't use them slang words either. Say amen. amen. I know that's not how he would. I know him better than that. That's not how he would respond. That, Beloved, hear me. When you know the Lord out of birth, out of a relationship with God, you have an ability to pray and pray with confidence. If you don't know him, no wonder you don't have faith to him. Try and close. It was a conquering prayer. Genesis 19 and verse 29. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. And he overthrew the cities in the which Lot dwelt. You say... Abraham was a failure because everybody didn't get saved. No, Abraham wasn't. Because there's a man named Lot tonight that in the New Testament the Bible calls just. And the reason that he's just, not because he deserved it himself, but was somebody else who knew what was coming, reached in and by prayer pulled him out of the fire. If you ask me one day, do you think all of Missoula is going to get saved and packed in this church? It may not. But I can tell you one thing. There's somebody on that road. There's somebody on that road. There's somebody on that road, and they need to be pulled out of the fire. They need to let the truth be known. Judgments come. They didn't know about it before. They'll turn around. I've had them say before, Brother Jeffers, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. Why, well, sure, they didn't know it was in the Bible. But by the grace of God, I didn't know it was either until somebody showed it to me. I didn't live it like that either until somebody showed me. But my heart was open, and I received it because you know what? I don't want to be under the judgment of God. Yes, yes, yes. I'm closing. Jeremiah 5 and 1, run ye to and fro to the streets of Jerusalem and see, no, seek in the broad places. If you can 
Find a man, if there be any, that executeth judgment and seeketh the truth. And he said, if you do, here's what I'll, I'll pardon it. I'll spare them if I can just find somebody that knows what's coming and begins to intercede. But the complimentary scripture that's found in Isaiah 59 and verse 16. And he saw that there was no man. And here's an interesting, perplexing scripture. God wondered. The Almighty, it is as if He scratches His forehead. He saw that there was no man, and, and He saw there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Now, it's not as if God was perplexed, but it is as if God Himself is perplexed. The God that is indescribably intelligent and wise steps back and says, I can't figure that out. I can't think of too many things that makes God wonder, but I found one when people know what's coming and they still don't intercede in prayer. That makes God scratch His head. My God. Oh, my God. Lift your hands and give Him praise right here. I feel the Lord. Oh, my God, my God, my God, my God. Erica, help me. That's as far as I need to go. Erica, help me. Oh, my God, help me, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. He wondered. He shakes his head. There's not a chemical equation that he can't describe in infinite detail. But the one thing that makes God raise his eyebrow is when the people that know what's coming refuse to call upon his name. Oh, God. It is impossible for him to be perplexed. It is impossible for him to not know. But the best way Isaiah says it, I saw there was no man. And I wonder that there was no intercessor. Friend, the future of this community does not rest in the hands of the capital of this state. It rests in the hands of the holy men and women of God. That's you and me. Stand with us all over this house. Oh God. Oh God. The perversion of Sodom, the prayer of the saint, the prophecy of the Son. The Son of God says in Luke 17, 26, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Likewise also as in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It's a testimony to men and women that never had a clue what was coming. Oh God. I know they don't. We know they don't. What's God asking you to do tonight? You know they don't. Father, deal with us, please. It is quite evident the day and hour in which we are living. The perilous times have come. We are reliving the days of Noah, God. We find ourselves reenacting, God, as a society the days of Lot.